welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Andrew Schlecht is in the building. Andrew is the best, and we are still doing off-season recaps here on the Game Theory Podcast. We did a little skipping around this time. Instead of going from the first 10 teams alphabetically to the next 10 teams alphabetically, we're going from the first 10 teams alphabetically to the final 10 teams alphabetically, in part because the team Andrew knows and loves, the Oklahoma City Thunder, falls perfectly into that and is actually the 21st team alphabetically that comes up in the NBA. So, Andrew, I could not be more excited to talk to you about all 10 of these teams because I did not recognize this at the time. I definitely gave you the most exciting 10. There's some really fun teams. When I was doing some <laughs> research for all of these, I was like, oh, I have so many questions I have that are maybe hard to answer, which is great. Like I want, I want to talk about teams that I... Uh, Maybe we can get some more clarity after this conversation on where these teams are headed. So I'm excited. I'm excited too. So let's let's just dive in because as we learned with Adam over the last episode, yep, these can get a little bit long. Yep. And we don't want to do that to Andrew here. Yep. So the team that we're going to start with is the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder signed VCA Mitzic to a three-year. $23.6 million deal the last year as a team option. They signed Jack White to a partially guaranteed two-year deal. Among players that are gone, we don't know. They're still going to have to cut three more. Mm-hmm. Still extension eligible, Alexei Pokashevsky and Jeremiah Robinson Earl. At the draft, they traded number 12 to move up to number 10 while taking on the deal of Davis Bertans from Dallas. They selected Kaysen Wallace from Kentucky They traded a 2024 first, a 2024 second, and number 37 to Denver for a protected 2029 first-round pick as part of a four-team trade. The Thunder just have to restructure some things moving forward, obviously because they have a million picks. And then at number 50, they took Keontae Johnson, a 6'5 wing from Kansas State. He will be on a two-way this year. Trades. They acquired Victor Oladipo in two seconds from Miami for cash. And then they participated in the weirdest five-team trade that has ever existed in the NBA. (laughs) The Thunder got Patty Mills in three seconds from Brooklyn. They then traded Patty Mills to Atlanta. No, 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 no. They got him from Houston, if I remember correctly. They then traded Patty Mills to Atlanta for Rudy Rudy Gay, Usman Garuba, Ty Ty Washington, and a second. They then cut Gay Garuba and Washington already. The net result of all of this maneuvering, four seconds for taking on about $11.3 million in dead money. I believe they have also created like a $6 million trade exception in there. Something like that for all of this, as well as like the smaller ones for Gay and Wa- or for Garuba and Washington. Andrew, what did you think of this offseason? Yeah, I think that it's just a continuation of where the Thunder have been for a little while. They're still in asset accumulation mode, as we saw, as they're they're trying to push out their assets as far as possible, which is what we saw with that Denver trade and the, the draft night trade. Um, they want assets when the team is good. And so that's what all this is for. And they want high, potentially high-level assets when this team is good. So that's why... They now have two Denver picks that are lightly protected in the future. What is Denver going to be in 2029? 
who knows? I think the Thunder are betting that teams don't stay good for that long. And so we've seen that already with Houston and with the Clippers picks. You know, one of them, one of the Clippers picks is already conveyed as a lottery pick, uh, which was uh, J-Dub, Jalen Williams. And then obviously this Houston pick this year is kind of a big deal for the Thunder too. That is top uh, four protected and we'll see what happens with it. So, yeah, they, they want to continue to develop their players and push assets to the future. I think the, the Mitchich signing was really interesting. I just, I did not see him coming over. And I thought, not with maybe, Oklahoma City. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought maybe he'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, okay, there's teams like Milwaukee and even, you know, I think losing Bruce Brown in Denver, like maybe he could fit there. And, but no, like he, he signed with the Thunder. He's going to play with the Thunder. They, the Thund- another thing the Thunder are doing is that they just want a bunch of guys that can make decisions with the basketball all over the court. Yeah. And he fits that. And so does Casey Wallace. So that's what they're, that's what they're doing is just, they're g- going to just experiment with a lot of things. And one of, one of them is, Hey, everybody on the court is going to make decisions. Everybody's going to push. We don't have one point guard. We have everybody as a point guard yeah. for this team. And so they're, they're going to be fascinating. And then obviously you have, the World Cup stuff going on with Shea and Giddy both looking tremendous um, in World yeah. Cup play. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on with the Thunder. So this offseason to me rings all about creating future flexibility for the stars that you mm-hmm. think you have already accumulated. And in my mm-hmm. opinion, they already have accumulated. Like I think that all four of Shea, Josh Giddy. Uh, Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren are going to make an all-star team in the future when, where, who knows? I think all four of them are going to be absolutely tremendous, spectacular players. And I think all four of them are going to be great players for the Oklahoma city thunder. To me, what this offseason is all about was creating a circumstance around them that allows the thunder to be very flexible in how they build around those guys. Yeah. Because if you look at, what happened with the thunder last year, it just felt like they did not have a crazy amount of contract trade flexibility. Mm. They had some cap space uh, throughout portions of last season as well. That gave them some opportunities to do a few creative things, but they also had an enormous amount of dead money on their books as well with Kemba Walker. If I remember correctly, was that the year that Mm -hmm. Kemba was on the books? I think so what they've done here by giving Mitsich a $7.7 million contract, by giving Victor Oladipo, or, you know, acquiring Victor Oladipo for a, to get a second round pick as well, and having his $9.5 million deal on the books. Also, uh, continuing to just kind of accumulate deals like the Davis Bertons deal, which is essentially like a $17 million pseudo expiring deal that only has 6 million guaranteed mm-hmm. in 2024, 25. They're creating real trade flexibility yep. for if something comes up on the market that they really love, mm-hmm. they can now in theory accumulate enough money to go get, somebody like a Joel Embiid by trading, and I'm not saying they're going to do Embiid necessarily. Sure. By moving like the Bertons deal, Mitzich, 
giddy and like another young player. Yeah. I believe that they can get to the necessary money by like guaranteeing all of Bertons' money in 2024, 25. And that's like way down the road, right? Yeah. That's not happening anytime soon. Even door this five point even, fifteen point two helps too. That's exactly right. They have enough money now to go and get somebody with only giving up one of their stars, not two of their stars. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think Sam Presti in Oklahoma City are thinking light years ahead to quote another organization's uh, theory on team building, you are out of your mind. Because I think that Sam Presti is one of the smartest people working in basketball. And I think he would like the flexibility to be able to do things, both in terms of pick capital, which we know they have, and in terms of contract capital with matching rights. Mm-hmm. And I think the signal to when when would they do that? When would they try to make that deal? Is when Shay, Giddy, J Dub, and Chet show that they're ready for that deal. Like I don't think anything is going to happen until they show that hey, we can be a 50 win team on our own. And that could happen as early as this next season. It could happen, you know, a year from now that they're ready to do that, or maybe two years from now, but they could also flip Bertans, Dort, whoever for another big contract that expires the following year and assets. And they're just like, push this one year, you know, forward pretty easily, I think, which is kind of what they've been trying to do with just all this like movement and just like churning these contracts. I I just know one thing is Sam is not going to let anything go to waste. I mean, he's going to use every bit of it. And some people are like, what did they cut? Ty Ty Washington, Usman Garuba. Well, ask Houston, ask Atlanta, how those phone calls went too. Because I don't think that they went how maybe Twitter thought they might've gone. Cause I, I think that, you know, it's not like Oklahoma city is like the only responsible team that's going to make those phone calls. I think Houston made those phone calls. I think Atlanta made those phone calls. Like, what can we get for these guys? The answer was nothing. And they both cleared waivers. Garuba's still out there. Ty Ty signed a, a two-way deal with the Bucks, And, you know, that's kind of where those guys were. But I th- Sam is going to turn over every rock possible to try to give this team future flexibility and the most talent possible. And they're going to use the draft and they're going to use trade. I am a little bit surprised they both cleared waivers for what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a mistake on any team's part that had the space slash like actual exceptions to be able to do that. Um, It was hard. Like there were just precious few teams that had the ability to do that. But Ty Ty was awesome last year in the G league by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I think Garuba is still somewhat interesting and I would want them on the rookie scale deal, especially Ty Ty more than Garuba because Garuba only has two years left, but Ty Ty has three years left of a cheap, cheap rookie deal. It's it's wild. We were talking about it. How many guys that just finished their rookie season would go through the waiver process and clear? Are there, I mean, there can't be that many, not many. And again, like Rafael Stone even said at the end of last season, I don't think we did right by Ty Ty. Hmm. Like he he actually said that. Like he felt like, hey, we should have just put him in the G League and let him get some run. Because yeah. if you look at it, by the end of the year, he was really, really like confident and ready to go. Yeah. And hey, now Milwaukee is you know gonna see what they have with Ty Ty. And mm-hmm. look, I think he is every bit as good of a prospect as Marjan Beauchamp, who Bucks fans will tell you they are very excited about. Yeah. Uh, 
the last thing I want to bring up here, uh, Case and Wallace, Mitzich, you know, maybe Jack White. I think Jack White's in like a really interesting position because yeah. they have 18 guys on the roster and Jack White was sneaky good in the minutes he played in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, in the World Cup for Australia. Any of those guys really stand out about guys that you are excited to watch this coming season? I mean, Mitzich is is fascinating, right? I mean, Sixers yeah. fans for years have been waiting for him, and then he gets traded in that Al Horford deal, and he, you know, Thunder fans thought he was coming last year or the year before. There were negotiations, and then it became it came to the point where you just thought, okay, this is like Charlie Brown with the football. Like, I'm not falling for this. Again. <laughs> not doing this. Not doing it again. And then you started to hear, like, hey, did you hear Mitzich is in town? Like, he's in Oklahoma City. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, is he really in Oklahoma City? So I did a little digging. I was like, actually, yeah, he's here. He's he's here, and he's probably going to sign a contract with the Thunder. And so that was <laughs> wild. I don't know what he looks like. My biggest question is to, as a defender, because I think offensively he fits perfectly with what Mark Degnall wants to do, and I think Mark's going to love him. But defensively, can he hold up enough to play significant minutes? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I would love to see it. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, Kaysen Wallace, I think it's the opposite. Is like Kaysen's going to compete so hard on defense, and he's going to make his impact felt there. How does he do with a primarily probably off-ball role as a guard, as a small guard for the Thunder? I think is a really interesting question that I don't know the answer to either. So those are interesting. And then obviously like the most interesting, interesting thing is like, what does this group look like with Chet Holmgren? You know, yep. the, the Thunder had the most attempts in the league per game in the restricted area last year. They also had the worst percentage in the restricted area last season. And I think one, I think part of that's just being young. Part of that is giddy and Dort just like barreling to the rim and just being glad they got there. You know, I think giddy will be better. I don't know if Dort will be better or not, but you hope that he would be being one of the worst at the rim. And then Chet is going to help so much because that dude, Finished everything at Gonzaga. I, I will also say about Giddy, I think Giddy did a really good job of adding a f- more consistent floater game, it seems like, over the yeah. course of this offseason based on his minutes with Australia at the World Cup. Yeah. Not, not just like, like you know, people think of like floaters as eight to 10 foot like push shots or something, but just little touch finishes over the top of bigs. He was really, really comfortable and confident. I yeah. felt in that way. He did this gliding hook across across the lane like driving to the lane he kind of like cut right a little bit and then just did this like gliding hook i don't know what to call it i don't even know that's the right thing to call it but he did that and it was it was really it's just interesting like he just has such a weird game that i think people have a hard time with Um, i think that people have a hard time envisioning what that looks like at its best yeah but let's move on let's Go to the Orlando Magic. Before we start talking about the Orlando Magic and their offseason, though, hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button over on YouTube. Do if it. you're listening to this in podcast form, the best way for you to get all of this great information and watch us live as we're talking about this, go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button. You will know when I go live on this channel, podcasting with Andrew, with Adam, with Mark, with whoever is on this show. Every single time. Let's move to the Orlando Magic now. 
kind of a quiet offseason for the Magic. Uh, they did one of those weird pick swap deals with the Phoenix Suns where they traded three seconds to Phoenix and now they get a 2026 unprotected first round swap. Uh, they will receive the second most valuable out of their pick, Washington's pick, and Phoenix's pick in that 2026 draft. In terms of the draft, I think that was probably the biggest moment for the Magic. They selected Anthony Black and selected Jet Howard in the lottery. That second lottery pick at number 11 is a result of the Nikola Vucevic deal. That is the last deal or the last remnant of that deal. Finally, they traded number 36 to Milwaukee for two seconds. That was Andre Jackson's pick. Uh, They get two seconds for Andre Jackson, basically. In terms of free agency now, they signed... Joe Ingles to a two-year $22 million deal, the last year team option. They signed Mo Wagner to a two-year $16 million deal, last year team option. They exercised Goga Batadze's team option for $2.1 million. They waived Bull Bull. They, I believe Michael Carter-Williams actually declined his player option. Uh, and then the big thing hanging over the Magic's head right now is that Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac, and Cole Anthony are all extension eligible still over the course of the next you know, in some cases, year in Cole Anthony's case, the next month, basically. Mm-hmm. What did you find most interesting about this magic offseason? I'll just kind of ask you that. Yeah, I am just so intrigued with what the point guard position looks like for them and how yeah. they move forward and how they figure out who is our point guard of the future. Because, and, and this is under the radar slightly, but Markel Fultz was good for them he was. last year. And so I just wonder, are they willing to invest in him? Because they just took Anthony Black, who is similar in ways, but bigger. Like this big defensive guard that can really pass and move the ball. And maybe you can play Anthony Black in more situation than just point guard. But it's between Fultz, Suggs, and Anthony Black. Like, who's your guy? I At this point, I could see it being any of those three. And I don't know the answer to it. And so to me... Who's going to best complement the players they have now? What's sad is that it would be a player that shoots it really well, and they have not <laughs> invested in a point guard that shoots really well. And so I kind of, they're in this really weird situation where they have three point guards that I, I like all of them. I like Fultz, I like Suggs, yeah. I like Anthony Black. But do I like them for a team that has Paolo Bencaro and Franz Wagner as your primary guys? My answer is kind of no. (laughs) Like I don't really like any of those three for those guys because they don't shoot it. Um, This is my exact case as well. Yeah. I don't Uh, know what to do with that because I do in a vacuum, Fultz, Suggs, Black. I like all those guys as prospects. Yeah. Um, I probably like Anthony Black a little bit better than both of those two. And also it's because he's the shiny new toy and we just don't know what it looks like in the NBA. But I just like big playmakers that can play defense. But I, I, I do too. Like I don't know what this I looks think like. It's, magic. I think it's so valuable to go get those guys. I just think that you have your big playmakers already. Yeah, it's true. In Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner. True. I'm all for going to get big playmakers at the point who can defend, but they have to be able to shoot because yeah. how you're going to win games if you're the Orlando Magic in three years, not necessarily right now. Right now, it's by letting Markel Fultz run the point guard and continuing to let Jalen Suggs develop and let Anthony Black come in off the bench and everything. Like mm-hmm. it kind of works itself out right now. Yeah, I think that's. But right. in three years, when Paulo and Franz Wagner are as good as they're going to be, and I think they are both future all stars. Like, yeah, 
unequivocally. You're going to want the ball in their hands more often. And if Anthony Black is out there, I love Anthony Black's intelligence, his processing, his transition play. I think he's an okay cutter. Like, they're just going to sag off of Anthony Black anytime those guys run the actions. It's true. And I think Jalen Suggs has more of a chance to shoot than Anthony Black does. I still Mm -hmm. will take Suggs over Anthony Black at this point. I still think that Markel Fultz has been awesome, but the issue is that teams don't trust him as a shooter. Mm-hmm. So if I was them, I would, after I've taken Anthony Black, obviously I'd be looking to move him. But the problem is that they were like 25 and 25 over their last 50 games yeah. with Markel Fultz in the lineup. They yeah. they were a good basketball team. They were So they were 11th in defense after the All-Star break. Yeah. But 26th in offense. And it's like, how how do you raise that offensive ceiling? Some of it is age, like naturally these guys will get better just because they're getting older and they're becoming more experienced and they're becoming more cohesive. Even without the shooting, that will happen. Like they will be better than the 26 ranked offense. But how do you become a true like contender in the Eastern Conference, which I do think with their two forwards, like absolutely you can get there. They also just found themselves in a draft and in a draft position where there wasn't a super viable shooting option at that pick. Like, do you agree? Like, I just don't know. I can't even like say that that was bad because I don't know who I would have taken if I were them at six. What I would say is that it's very clear. The teams were trying to move up the board. Yeah. Literally at seven, like the wizards moved up from eight to seven. Yeah. The thunder moved up from 12 to 10. Mm-hmm. It's clear that there were teams open to trade avenues. Yeah. I would have just picked up additional assets to Mm -hmm. continue to build around this group, Mm -hmm. move down and taken somebody else. And look, they drafted Jet Howard. They drafted a guy that they clearly really like as a shooter. I'm a little Mm -hmm. bit lower on Jet Howard personally uh, because I don't think he does enough outside of shoot the ball. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they did take that player that they think can be that. Mm -hmm. So you can't fault them a crazy amount for the way that they operated this. It's just that I don't love what they're doing at the point guard position, I think. And then Joe Ingles, uh, like, look, I I love that dude. That dude has been one of my favorite players in the league for a long, long, long time. I think he is outstanding. Mm -hmm. And by the way, kind of like played as a pseudo point guard last year for Milwaukee a lot of the time. Yeah. Plays on the ball a lot for the Australian national team, has experience doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have this idea of playing Joe Ingles as like their shooting point guard for this season in order to help Franz Wagner, Paulo Bancaro, Wendell Carter develop a little bit, especially in second units. I think this was a crazy contract. Um, I'm so happy Joe Ingles is getting paid. Joe, get your yeah. money, man. That is that is fantastic. It's a it's a lot. It is a lot. They yeah. it, it's this, a one year deal, so like I can't kill yes. it too much. It, it's it's one it's year and it's it screams culture to me. It screams like, hey, yeah. we want a grown up with a lot of these young guys to come in that knows how to play, that knows how to play the right way too. Like he plays in in a way that we want our guys to play. 
And so I don't know what the bidding was for Joe Ingles, but I was a little surprised at that too. But again, like I'm not, I didn't really raise an eyebrow all that much just because like, yeah, it's, it's really just one year, you know, and I like Joe and I would like for Joe to have more money. (laughs) So that's cool. Yeah. Like you can run out like Joe Ingles, Gary Harris, uh, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, and Paulo lineups that have real shooting. That yeah. Wendell Carter is turning into an awesome defensive player. You can run out lineups certainly with Markel, with Ingles and Ingles and Gary Harrison, Joe Ingles. You can run out lineups with one of those two on the court with the three, you know, front court stars that you have. You can figure all of that out, I think, in a really interesting, fun way. I'm just so fascinated to see what the long-term team build of the Orlando magic is. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't love what they're doing in terms of fitting guys around Paulo and Franz that in my opinion, makes sense for those guys, even though I like the players that they're drafting. Um, mm-hmm. You look at the way Denver has been very intentional about the way it has built around Nikola uh, Jokic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've gotten the best four man they could in Aaron Gordon to play in between Michael Porter and Nikola Jokic. They've gotten the best point guard possible to play next to Nikola Jokic and a scoring guard who's an incredible uh you know handoff player, uh you know, pull up shooter, everything like that in Jamal Murray. And they've gotten now a three and D guy in uh KCP that really helps elevate their defense on the perimeter in a real way. I don't see the same level of intentionality in finding lineups that fit together in Orlando as I do in say Denver in Oklahoma city in places like that, I guess. is what mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. I mean, to me, once you know that you've got these two stud forwards, like we got to put as much shooting around these guys as possible to let them cook. Because if, if you can clog the lane a little bit with them, they're just such an easier team to defend. And yeah. so you, you have to have somebody spacing. That's why I was, and we're not talking about the Pelicans, but I was just really sad to see the Trey Murphy thing today. And we still don't know the status of him, but boy, is he like the most important spacer on that Pelicans team. And, you know, totally. the magic could use somebody at the guard position to really space for them. And yeah. I just don't, they're kind of going the opposite direction. They are. Okay, let's go next to the Philadelphia 76ers. So for as loud as of an offseason as the Philadelphia 76ers have seemed to have had, they have not actually done a trade. Yeah. They did not really participate in the draft. They signed three guys to two ways after the draft. Mm -hmm. And like they signed Paul Reed to a offer sheet that Utah gave him. They signed Patrick Beverly, Mo Bamba to minimum deals. They signed Montrezl Harrell, Phil Petrushev to minimum deals, basically. Mm -hmm. Daniel House exercised his $4 million player option. And they've lost Shake Milton, Jalen McDaniels, Dwayne Dedman. Like, that's really all that's happened in their offseason, except then also uh, James Harden set the building on fire and then took a shit in it or no, I'm sorry. took a shit in it and then set the building on fire. My mistake. Uh, and then also went to China and said that he'll never play for Daryl Morey again, basically. Yep. 
<laughs> after, by the way, after opting into his player option, which yeah. he could have just opted out of, and we could have yeah. just not been here. Yeah. Um, you know, things, things might have worked out better. And we're here, and I don't know that there is a ending in sight with it necessarily, which is tough because there's not, I don't think that there's a deal that necessarily satisfies the 76ers with the Clippers, which is where James wants to go, which is why he said what he said. So this just puts them in a really precarious situation because this is Joel Embiid's prime. And when you're screwing with one of the best centers ever and his prime, you're making such a huge mistake. (laughs) You've just made... And there's been a lot of mistakes that have led to this moment. You know, not all of them done by Daryl Morey. Some of them have been done by Daryl Morey. And, you know, it's it sucks for Embiid that this is the kind of stuff that's going on in their offseason. When they have, he's a, I mean, he's an elite player. You have Tyrese Maxey, who I think is developing into a really, really good guard in this league. And then you have some nice role players. I think DeAnthony Melton has been really, really good for them. I think losing Niang is kind of big for them because they kind of thrive off just picking off corner threes and missing him, I think will hurt some. And I really like what he will bring for the Cavs. But yeah, this is a, this is a disaster for them right now is like, how do we, how do we salvage this? We've seen Daryl Morey do this in the past with Ben Simmons, where you just kind of hang on to him and then just wait for the deal that you want. Um, but this is a this is not a four year deal of a young player who recently made All NBA. This is James Harden, who has now developed a reputation of not being able to do it in the playoffs, not being able to lead your team, and he's on the the downside. You know, so I just don't I don't know how this ends or what it looks like. But I hate it for Joel, and I I think that even with Harden, I think that they would have a good shot to be one of the best teams in the East just because they, they do have an identity and they do have one of the best players, but this is just a complete circus at this point. And I feel bad for Sixers fans because it's been somewhat of a circus since uh, basically since the process started. Yeah. We're not going to dive deep into fake James Harden trades here. I've done that previously already. If you yep. go to the YouTube channel, you go to the podcast feed, you'll be able to find we broke down the James Harden trade market in detail, trying to understand all 30 teams in their place in the market with it, not just the ones that have been mentioned. And I would implore you to go there, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Again, we're going to keep saying that we need to say that more often here uh, on the show and go to the podcast feed. If you're looking for that, go find that. What I will say, though, about the way that they have handled the Harden situation to this point. They have Joel Embiid for two years after this one. Yep. Before he hits a $59 million player option. Tobias Harris, Harden, whatever he is. DeAnthony Melton, Paul Reed, Furkan Korkmaz, Daniel House, potentially Jaden Springer if they want to decline his club option. Mm Mm-hmm. Montrezl Harrell, Mo Bamba, Patrick Beverly, they all expire after this season. Mm-hmm. And Tyrese Maxey will have quite a low cap hold next season. Yep. Because he was a pick outside of the top 20 
in the 2020 NBA draft. So they could theoretically use the maxi low cap hold and everything else to go out and try and lure another star in Philly via trade, via whatever, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I think you're not going to see a Tyrese Maxey extension. You're not going to see a Tobias Harris extension, a DeAnthony Melton extension, everything like that. Daryl Morey has done a good job of keeping things open at this point. This team is worse than it was last year, in my opinion. Um, I would not expect them to be as good because I would not expect James Harden to be as engaged and good as he was throughout most of last season. And then they lose interesting depth pieces like Shake Milton and Jalen McDaniels, who I like a little bit more than what they're going to get from guys like Mo Bamba, Montres Harrell, Phil Petrashev, even though Harrell yeah. was there last year. What is, Beverly that? could be interesting for them. Yeah, Beverly, yeah. I think will help. What is the Montres Harrell fascination? Do we know? I don't know at this point. Yeah, I thought it was a Doc Rivers thing, but like maybe it's not. I, know. Um, <laughs> I felt like you could finally let him go. Um, yeah. That is an interesting point, though. Is like, what does Nick Nurse do at this team? I think is interesting. Yep. It, yeah. Maybe that's the improvement. Maybe it's just Nick Nurse in for Doc Rivers. Maybe that yeah. helps. Uh, but yeah, they need to figure out the Harden thing. I think it's like not worth spending a lot more time on Philly just because everything yeah. is so tied in the Harden thing and we don't have any idea how that's going to end. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, weird stat of the day brought to you by the Philadelphia 76ers. Did you know that PJ Tucker and Tobias Harris took the exact same amount of corner threes last year? 135 each, which seems weird. Can you tell me how many Harris made and how many Tucker made? So 134, did you say? 135 each. 135. I'm going to guess Harris made 52. Oh, you're close. And PJ Tucker made 41. So Harris made 55. Tucker made 54, almost okay. the exact same. That kind of blew my there mind. There we go. That was just, I was like, that's weird. I don't know if that's useful in our evaluation with this team, but that is super weird. PJ in the corners. He yep. can't hit them. He just can't do anything else anymore, unfortunately, <laughs> on offense. Well, that's all that's happening. <laughs> he needs to camp in the corner, and that's it. Yep. Okay. Next team up. The Phoenix Suns. This is a big one. Yeah. The Phoenix Suns were very active let's go with mm-hmm. in the off season they acquired bradley beal jordan goodwin and isaiah todd from washington for chris paul landry shamit four first round pick swaps six second round picks they acquired isaiah or they traded isaiah todd uh with a 2024 first round pick swap uh and a 2030 first round pick swap to memphis for three second round picks they acquired Three seconds from Orlando for a 2026 unprotected pick swap that we mentioned earlier. Uh, and then they trade a campaign and a second rounder for a 2024 second rounder. They selected Tamani Kamara in the draft. The big thing, though, is the way they rounded out the big four of Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Ayton, and Bradley Beal. They signed Eric Gordon to a two-year $6.6 million deal. They signed Josh Koji to a two-year $5.8 million deal, last year's team option or player option there. They signed Keita Bates-Diop, Damian Lee, Yuta Watanabe, Drew Eubanks to two-year $5 million contracts. 
Last year on all of those are player options, I believe. They signed Bull Bull to a one-year $2.2 million deal. They signed Chimenzi Metsu to a one-year $2.4 million deal. No longer there. Tory Craig, Jock Lawndale, Darius Baisley, TJ Warren, Bismack Biombo, Terrence Ross. That is a lot. It's a, a lot, lot of names. Words. Lots of lot words, of names. lots of names. Um, Let's also, start with Bradley Beal. Yeah. What do you think of this Bradley Beal acquisition? And how will it work in Phoenix? Oh, I, I I think that it's a lot more of the same, honestly, with Phoenix. it's This is a mid-range heavy team. Bradley Beal likes to take mid-range jumpers as well. It's like, welcome to the club. It's like, we're going to be taking mid-range pull-ups all day. Uh, they took the second most mid-range shots in the NBA last year. I expect that to be the first most mid-range <laughs> shots in the NBA next year. Um, Katie took almost seven mid-range jumpers, but he shot 50%. Booker took almost six. Beal took four last year. It's a lot. Um, Chris Paul took 3.7 last year, so it's not going to look all that different with regards to shot selection, I don't think. Um, I like Beal. I think that Beal hasn't been in a situation, in a winning situation in a long time, and I'm really interested to see what it looks like. Um, However, I'm just so curious to see how this team handles and shares the ball because this is just a lot of shot creators and not a lot of guys that get downhill. And this was kind of one of the problems with Phoenix in the last year is that it was just all kind of the same stuff. You know, Chris Paul couldn't get to the hoop anymore. And so it was just like a lot of mid range pull-ups and it's like, if the shots fallen, man, we're, we're killing. And if it's not, then we don't really have a way to get to the hoop outside of Aiton, who's not a, much of a happy camper these days. And I don't think this Bradley Beal thing is going to make him any happier. Also, losing Cameron Payne is like sneaky bad for DeAndre Aiton too. Because Aiton had the second most um, possessions per game in the pick and roll and was at 1.2 points per possession. Like He was really good. But I just don't know that he, I think he's going to get less. Because Chris Paul had eight pick and roll possessions as a ball handler. No one has anywhere close to that with the rest of this team. So I just wonder what it looks like for Aiton. Um, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be good. I think Frank Vogel will bring a little more defensive energy with him to this team. Um, I like Beal. I hope that he's successful, but I just, this just feels like, hey, let's just keep shooting mid range pull ups. You know, Beal's a part of that club. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how it works. Um, just because I think they, they need a little bit more variety in what they do in their offense. I think next week we're doing uh, NBA win total over-unders on this show, our mm-hmm. yearly episode with Robbie Calland. Mm-hmm. And I am so excited to just be all in on the Suns. <laughs> I, I love this team. I think they're going to be awesome. I think that Frank Vogel, which is – as big of a change as anything here going from Monty Williams, to Frank Vogel. That's a big change. I think he is going to hopefully get more defensively out of Deandre Ayton because we have seen Deandre be a great defender previously. Mm -hmm. I thought he was not great last year. Yeah. But Frank Vogel has done a phenomenal job throughout the course of his career of building these bigs into defensive studs if they have the tools to do so. Mm-hmm. You saw it with Anthony Davis. You saw it with Roy Hibbert. You've seen it throughout what Vogel's career has been in many different rule sets. Uh, 
throughout the course of his career as the NBA has changed. I think Vogel's going to be awesome for DeAndre Ayton. I do. I hope so. You th- what do you think Ayton's mindset is? Because, he I mean, he's like even more so the, like the fourth guy. And like the pos- like the touches, possessions, like guys. So with- here's, here's, like here's going to be my question there. Yeah. Is he? Because for as much as Chris Paul is, was their, you know, third best player, whatever you want to call him mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. right? He does like to dominate the ball in yeah. a way that Bradley Beal can play a little bit more away from the ball. Mm-hmm. The thing that this trade does, in my opinion, more than anything, is it shifts Devin Booker over to point guard. Yeah. And it allows him to play on the ball as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And with that, that is where I think the Suns are going to see the most improvement because the Suns were incredible last season when Devin Booker was the guy running the show, handling point, being the dude in charge. Now you put him with Bradley Beal, who's an incredible off-ball scorer. You put him with Kevin Durant, who is the best off-ball scorer in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Uh, The amount of points per touch that that guy gets is absolutely absurd. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't I am. Yeah, I don't either. He can take as many mid-range shots. He can take as many threes. He's going to get to his spots whenever he so chooses. Yeah, yeah. I am so excited to watch this team. I think they're going to be awesome. I think that it's just really, really going to work with this group of four players. And I actually like the little moves they did to round it out. Signing Eric Gordon in that way is a really smart deal. I think Eric can guard up the lineup a little bit. You can play Kevin Durant at the four. You can play DeAndre at the five. Eric can guard threes. It's really good. Josh Okoji can be a defensive stopper for them. Kata Bates-Diop was quite good last year, sneakily in San Antonio, mm-hmm. as like a good you know sixth, seventh, eighth man, basically. Drew Eubanks is like a valuable backup center. He's not quite as good as Jacques Londale is, I think. Londale was way underrated league-wide. He was a sneaky good pick-and-roll defender. He was a sneaky good uh, finisher around the basket for this team. Eubanks, Eubanks is good, though. Eubanks was good Eubanks, for Blazers. He brings yeah, it. Yeah, like an just, actual NBA player. It. Yeah, he brings it. He brings it every day. I'm not as high on Bull Bull, but you know, that's a flyer for them to take at the very least. Sure. And Yuta Watanabe is another like really good team defender, really smart overall player. So yeah. I like the way they rounded out the roster. Yeah. They generated center corner threes, had the best percentage from the corners, and that's just because these dudes are going to be wide open. You know? Yep. And yep. it's job, uh Damien Lee, Watanabe, like those guys can hit corner threes. And so that will help. Really it's all about health for them it's like yep. can they be healthy can they get a good season out of Aiton? um i think those are like big questions for them um other than that like their talent level is really really high like you just it's hard to match the kd beal booker trio um, especially yeah. if they're healthy so i i, I think they're i think they are going to be good it just comes down to in the playoffs when everything gets tight can you generate easier looks? And yeah. that's that's one of the things that I that I wonder about is just how do they get to the hoop? Because at some point you just have to. Like you just have to find ways to get to the hoop. 
the the big thing for them is going to be creating synergy between Booker and Aiton as a pick and roll force. They need DeAndre yep. to dive to the rim as hard as possible every single time. Yep. Uh, I look the thing that they do better than anybody probably between Booker, Beal, and Durant is get bailout opportunities from the mid range oh. when the offense breaks down. Yeah. Uh, in the offense it's it's harder in the playoffs right at the mm-hmm. end of the day like it's just exceptionally difficult to score in the playoffs and mm-hmm. this team should be able to do that at a real level i'm just fascinated to see them i think the talent level's real i think frank vogel's a really good coach i think mm-hmm. they're going to figure it out mm-hmm. and i like the little moves they did on the fringes to kind of round out the roster around these four mm-hmm. uh and look, they went out and got a billion second round picks to be able to round out the rest of it as well uh, yeah. around the deadline if necessary. Let's take a quick commercial break. We will be right back. Uh, Andrew and I are going to talk next about the Portland Trailblazers. Okay, Andrew, we're back with another team like Philadelphia that had a quiet offseason, but has been very loud and has been very in the news. So the Portland Trailblazers have these Damian Lillard rumors all over the place. By the way, sneakily, Damian Lillard, extension eligible right now. Uh, The team could add years and money to his deal. But... They signed Jeremy Grant to a five-year, $160 million deal the last year, a player option there. They signed Matisse Thibel to a three-year, $33 million uh, offer sheet that they matched from Dallas the last year as a player option there. Gone are Kevin Knox, Justice Winslow, Drew Eubanks, Cam Reddish, Trendon Watford, Jonathan Williams, in Scoot Henderson, Chris Murray, and Rayon Ruper. That's a fun draft. I thought they had one of my favorite drafts of any team in the league. It's easy when you get Scoot Henderson. I think he Mm -hmm. is a future star. It is fantastic to end up with him at number three. I'm sorry. I put two here. That was obviously Brandon Miller. Mm -hmm. I think my brain just obviously goes to Scoot being a second player. He should have gone second. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, A weird off season though, for Portland because of the Lillard thing, it felt like with the Jeremy Grant deal, a, that could have been agreed to after they acquired him, obviously, uh, from Detroit, where they were just like, look, we can't extend you now. We're going to give you a deal more than that down the road. And they were just coming good on that on some level. The problem is now that you're moving Lillard, though. It feels like that deal was kind of trying to middle it a little mm-hmm. bit, mm-hmm. where you're halfway between rebuilding and halfway between trying to build a championship contender around Damian Lillard. And now Damian Lillard, it seems like wants to be out of Portland and you have Jeremy Grant on a five-year $160 million deal. When Jeremy Grant is probably worth about $30 million, 25 to $30 million a year right now. Yeah. But Jeremy Grant turns 30 in March. And Mm -hmm. then that deal still has four, four more years on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I I th- I still think Jeremy will be able to be traded on this contract at some point and they'll be able to get recoup some value. Um 
and the Blazers with with their direction. I, I if I'm them, I'm just trying to get as many draft picks as possible because they've got like players to build around right now. Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons. If you want to keep him, like they've got the building blocks for a young team in place. They've like stealth tanked in a way to this point where they haven't traded their star yet and they still can get a bunch of assets for him. So if you can get a bunch of assets pushed out as far as possible, a lot of picks, and if you can get a player too, great. But the fact that you're starting this rebuild with Scoot Henderson is absolutely phenomenal. Like this is such a great place to be if you're the Blazers. So I'm not totally stressing whatever they get for Dame. I think they've just made a really big mistake in not trying to trade him last year or the year before. That's when they would have really gotten like the Paul George type of haul for him. And now it's like, oh gosh, like he's look at his age and look at the look at this contract. And he's probably not going to be good for the life of that contract. And we do do we really want to invest? Really, the only team that wants to really invest in it is Miami Heat. And the Miami Heat are like, yeah, we don't have a whole lot over here, but we really want Damian Lillard. Um, <laughs> and so, like, that's they're just in a weird predicament. I still, we've talked about this on your show. I think he's going to end up in Miami at some point. They're going to give up what they need to to make it happen, whatever. What really matters, though, for the Blazers is bottoming out giving Scoot Henderson every developmental minute possible, allowing him to become the best case scenario version of him. And mm-hmm. that is what is going to help the Blazers to be the best team in the future. It's not necessarily going to be built on the back of this Dame trade. While it could be, they lucked out and got the second pick. And so yeah. if I'm a Blazers fan, I'm just super happy that I have Scoot. I like Shaden Sharp. I need to see a lot more of him to like truly believe that he's going to be like some all-star level player. The, the, the tools are clearly there. He, yes. Like, he has all the yeah. tools to become that. Um, that's, that's another reason. That's, that's one thing that I think people miss on sometimes is that reps in the NBA matter a ton and help yes. some of these guys that have more like raw tools and need to explore the studio space a little bit. Like you have to give them, room to do that. And so if the Blazers are bad for three years, that is like a great thing for a guy like Shaden Sharp, because I think he can figure out who he is. I think one of the cases is I just don't think that um, a guy like Jordan Poole would have ever contributed at the level that he did for the Warriors had the Warriors not had that one tank year. Cause I think Jordan Poole, like the time to figure out like who, who am I in the NBA? What am I as a player in the NBA? And so I think he became like a lot more of like a downhill slasher that yes. year and really got a chance to understand. I can actually get to the rim a little mm-hmm. bit more often. That was big for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He went to the G league and understood that first, but then they brought him back and he got the reps to be yep. able to do that. So, so yeah, no, it's funny. We keep re- referencing scoot as the second pick. We need to stop doing that. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, you should have been second pick. the third pick, the third pick. Yeah. As much as we think that's the case. Um, yeah, look, I totally agree with you. They have the dudes now. Like it, when you have Scoot and you have Shade and Sharp, you have two guys that have legitimate all-star upside. We'll see where that settles, right? Like with both of them, to be honest, there are routes where Scoot doesn't totally work. I, I think he will. And I think he's going to be like an all NBA point guard, mm-hmm. but I, I am 
very much open to Scoot maybe being a little bit less than that, uh, even though my eval is my eval. Um, Shaden has real tools to be that kind of guy going out and getting Chris Murray, like a big wing that can play next to those guys, can take some defensive assignments, can shoot threes. It's valuable. Matisse Thibel, I'm not quite as high on Thibel as I've talked about throughout Australia's World Cup uh, trip, but on an $11 million deal, maybe you can move that down the road. Like, it, it's a good it's a good situation for them to continue building. They're going to be able to get a bunch of extra pick assets moving forward here. And then we see where it lands Yeah, uh, when they move Dame. I, I don't know that we need to belabor it just because so much of this is settled now around Scoot and Shaden. Mm-hmm. And so much of what their offseason looks like has yet to transpire because yeah. Amy Lillard is still on the Portland Trailblazers and they've been in a feeling of stasis because they have not made a move yet and we will see what happens when that move actually occurs and we'll see what happens with jeremy grant's deal four years down the road because that is an aggressive deal to Mm -hmm. be giving out to jeremy grant unfortunately a big question for me with them is just are they going to tear it down to the studs like are they going to trade jeremy are they going to trade matisse on this deal are they going to let go of like veteran guys so they can just develop these young players and and really go for it like really like hey we're gonna sell out and just hope that we can pair scoot with cooper flag here in a couple years you know please god yes you know like to me that's what i would be doing but there is also the case to be made that they're like hey we think scoot's really good now like let's keep jeremy grant let's go make some trades to bring in guys i would never ever do that plan but teams do that and so i just i'm curious to see the the route that they take um so i don't know what that looks like but i think that you know teams have options moving forward let's go to the next team the sacramento kings this was team run it back for the most part this offseason they signed Demona Sabonis to that four-year, $176 million extension. They renegotiated and extended that deal to $28 million in 2023-24 with $10 million in incentives based on how he plays. They signed Harrison Barnes to a three-year, $54 million extension. Uh, they exercised Kessler Edwards' team option. They signed Trey Lyles to a two-year, $16 million deal. Then at the center position... I don't know what they're doing yet. They signed Alex Lenge, Vale McGee, and Nerlens Noel to minimum deals. They signed Sasha Vizenkov as their one of their two main additions to mm-hmm. this group to mm-hmm. a three-year, $20 million deal. Last year team option, one of the best players in Europe for the last couple of years. Uh, they traded number 24 and Rashawn Holmes to Dallas to get off of the Rashawn Holmes money in order to renegotiate and extend Sabonis. They acquired the number 34 pick for number 38 in a future second. They selected Colby Jones, a six foot six wing out of Xavier. They also selected Jalen Slauson, a six, seven wing out of Furman. He'll be on a two way. Finally, they acquired Crystal Duarte for two second round picks, a move that I really like and that I think could really work as like an awesome bench shooter for a team that loves shooting. Uh, This was team run it back. I love that they ran it back. I think they're going to be a better team this year than they were last year. And one of the things that Mark and I talked about on the podcast last week was just that, you know what? Maybe it will be a slight win decrease because 
it's going to be hard for them to stay as healthy as they did this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it truly is like for them to end up with as few games missed as they did. And they ended up missing fewer games than any team in the league by like 50 last mm-hmm. year. Sabonis played 79 Fox played 73 Barnes played 82 Murray played 80 Herder 75 Monk 77 Davion Mitchell 80 Trey Lyles 74 like yeah. that's your top eight in your rotation they mm-hmm. all played at least 73 games like it's going to be hard to stay healthy in that way this year but I think that their overall play when all of their guys are healthy on the court will be better and that is the most important thing for the Kings moving forward. Hey, shout out to stability in Sacramento. Something that we just couldn't say for so long. You know, I'm glad that they didn't try to do anything crazy. This is just what they needed to do. And will they have a better record than they did last year? Maybe. I think they have, they're going to have a chance to. Even yeah. if the record is worse. We have to like keep this in context. Because it's always like, what have you done for me lately? Kind of thing. The Sacramento Kings didn't make the playoffs for 16 years. And now they look like a stable franchise that has good players that want to be there. And they're building on their identity. And you could not ask for more. Like Duarte could end up being like the Kevin Herter of the offseason that he was last year. Because like Herter wasn't this guy in Atlanta. He was actually had a really disappointing season, kind of like Chris Duarte just had, maybe not as bad as Duarte, but similar situation where it's like, Hey, this young guy that shoots it needs a new situation. And maybe Duarte hits, maybe he doesn't, but it's just like, does he fit the identity of what the Kings do? Yes. Great. They're just, they're just doing a good job of making a team that shoots it. Well, that's going to play up tempo a fascinating, fun team that I think is going to be good again. And that is just not a sentence we've been able to say in back-to-back years for Sacramento in over 16 years. So shout out to stability. Yeah, one thing Mark and I talked about on the show last week was that Duarte had really good synergy with Demonis Bonus in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Sasha Vizankov, profiles to have really great synergy as a cutter and as a spacer next to Sabonis as well. I think this seems just really fun and really good. They didn't really improve defensively all that much here, but that's okay. Like seriously, the level to which when I used to talk to agents about sending prospects to the Kings, it used to be like pulling teeth and not wanting to go there. Yeah. Having Monty McNair, having, a stable front office that is really smart and that there are a lot of like sharp people working within having a stable scheme and a fun up-tempo environment to come play in that stuff can't be overstated in Sacramento. No, that's why running this back was the option for them. I think they had to do it. Well, and they tried to kind of shore up their backup center position by just saying like, hey, we don't know which one of Alex Lynn, Nerlens Noel, or JaVale McGee is going to work out, and we're just going to try them all and just see if any of them can play backup center at all. Yeah. So, And at the end of the day, it'll just be Trey Lyles playing backup center probably. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's yeah. what they did in the playoffs. And that's yeah, what, that, that's uh, probably right. Man, JaVale McGee, if you would have told me that JaVale McGee 
would play 16 seasons in the NBA when I was watching him with the Wizards, I would have said, you are absolutely nuts. Uh, he's doing it. He's living the dream. People in the league genuinely like love JaVale. And yeah. it's a credit to him for getting to that point. Uh, he fought through it early with Washington. What a fantastic, fantastic story. Uh, let's go ahead and move forward, though. Let's talk about the San Antonio Spurs, another relatively quiet-ish offseason outside of one very big, loud thing that they did. They selected Victor Wembanyama in the draft. This is the most important offseason that has happened in San Antonio for years upon years now, certainly at least since they moved Kawhi Leonard, right? And honestly, it might end up being more momentous than that, which says a lot of what Victor Wembanyama's potential upside is long-term. Also in the draft, they traded number 33 to Minnesota for two future seconds. They selected C.D. Sissoko at number 44. Uh, they re-signed Trey Jones to be their point guard this year to a two-year $19 million deal. They signed Julian Champagny to a four-year $12 million deal with some non-guarantees in there. They signed Sandrew Mamukalashvili to a one-year $2 million deal. Uh, they acquired Chetty Osman and Lamar Stevens. Uh and a second for one second. They then waived Lamar Stevens. They acquired Reggie Bullock and an unprotected 2030 first round pick swap from Dallas for three seconds uh, in the Grant Williams sign and trade that ended up with Grant Williams in Dallas. And then finally, they acquired campaign and a second for a 2024 second. That 2030 pick swap is looking super juicy, I think, in Dallas. For real. Luca might still be there. But you never know. I think that's a really smart move by San Antonio to get it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is the summer of Vic. And they decided they could have gone two routes. They could have decided to try and contend now. Or they could have decided to stay the course, see how good Vic is, and then try to contend later. Right? Maybe use your money next offseason as opposed to this offseason. Yeah. They kept it very quiet. They kept it very steady and they decided to be patient and i think that's a totally reasonable route especially now that it seems like greg popovich is going to be there for the next five years after signing an 80 million dollar contract shout out greg popovich getting that money yep shout out monty williams what do you think of that strategy of the strategy they employed as opposed to the strategy they could have gone down oh i think it's the absolute right move because it's it's going to be all about how do we pair somebody next to Wimbanyama long-term. And who is that going to be? It's probably a player that's not in the NBA yet. Um, you know, they have some nice pieces around them right now that I think are more uh, like supporting cast guys. I think Vassell is like probably like a high-level supporting cast member for Victor Wimbanyama and the Spurs. But it's going to be building through the draft. The, the San Antonio Spurs are a small market. They've built through the draft before. They know what this is all about. And so I think it's the smart way to go. It's it's tough because you can you can trick yourself into accelerating things. And then if Wimbanyama is not like he's gonna be good, but is he gonna be ready to compete? And then if he's not, then you find yourself in this weird position like the New Orleans Pelicans did with in I guess the Hornets and with Anthony Davis, where it's like, hey, Anthony Davis is good. Let's hit the gas now. Boom. And all it did was accelerate his exit from the New Orleans franchise. Like, that's all it did. And so you have to be careful with these situations. You have, you have a long runway with these players, with their rookie scale deal. 
and then with the next contract. So give yourself some time to like sort this out because it's probably players that we don't even know the names of yet that are going to be the supporting pieces for women Yama down the road. If the Spurs are going to be contending again. Um, And that's okay. I think that needs to be the way that it is. Uh, I just want to know, have you recovered from the Spurs trading the pick that became Leonard Miller yet? Yeah, look, I would have just taken Lenny. I think Leonard Miller would have been awesome with Vic first and foremost. I kind of agree. Like, I I think he would have been fantastic. And I I really like Leonard Miller. I'm in on him. I thought he looked great at Summer League. And I think he will look really good in Minnesota. That's a perfect scheme for him. We'll talk about that uh, next week when we have someone on to talk about the middle 10 teams Mm -hmm. in terms of their offseason. But, yeah, like getting him with Chris Finch and those guys, and they'll just let him go. It's great. Uh, I would have just taken him. Look. The the interesting thing now for them is trying to find what works best for Vic. And I don't mind using this year as almost like an incubator just to understand the player types that work best around Vic. Because mm-hmm. he's still a teenager. Like we don't have all of the information we're going to have about Victor Wembenyama in three years that, you know, we don't have that right now. Yeah. So, so true you might as well see how this develops, see what works best around him. Maybe he doesn't need like a big, burly, strong power forward next to him. Maybe you can just play four perimeter players next to him. And he's so fucking good on defense and as a rebounder, that it's just going to be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a real possibility with him. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of pairing him with somebody like Zach Collins right now. Uh, having that enforcer, that physical presence, who's another sneaky, good rim protector, really good three point shooter as well. Now having that guy next to him for the first year, I think is fantastic. It could be that that's what you want to do with him long-term and that you sign Zach Collins in March to an extension or something like that. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you want three perimeter players next to Vic and like more of a Keegan Murray type next to uh, him at the four, right? Mm -hmm. There are just a lot of different options. There are a lot of different potential outcomes here. Maybe it's that Vic plays the four and you need a true center at the five. Yeah, there's, I I love what they did. At first, I kind of thought maybe competing early would be the right call because I think he's going to be good from the jump. Yeah. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought the patient idea is kind of the right idea for them. Well, and the West is in a weird spot too, where everybody's competing. And if you're the San Antonio Spurs at the end of the season, I think lottery position is going to matter more than if you finish like right outside the play in, because I, I think they can get to that right outside the play in pretty quickly. And so if you can pull back for just like a season or two, to just get better lottery position, let us pick fifth, sixth, seventh, you know, rather than, you know, 12th in the draft. You just give yourself a better chance to have better players around these guys. And, you know, free agency is not, not the way to go in San Antonio. Like you're not going to be able to do it. And so it's about the draft. It's about trades. And that's how you're going to position yourself. And so if I'm San Antonio, like slow play it, like you, you did the, the hardest part, should be done because you got the player. 
Now it's like, how, how can we best figure out what he is? And I think that just takes time. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, let's go next to the Toronto Raptors. Weird offseason for Toronto. No trades, which was a bit odd to me. Uh, they select Grady Dick in the draft. That was it. They signed Jakob Pertl to that contract that was four years, 78 million last year player option. They see Gary Trent exercise his $18.6 million player option. They signed Dennis Schroeder, Jalen McDaniels, Garrett Temple. I can't believe I did this again, but I caught a hanger with the Spurs still extension eligible lists. But the big thing is that they lose Fred Van Vliet now. Yeah. And they sign Jakob Pertl, who was really valuable for them last year. Like, I don't want to get that twisted like he was really useful for them it feels like they made moves that and the Raptors have done this before Masai Ujiri has been successful doing this before I understand why they did it that are kind of in between two timelines Mm -hmm. where they have the Scotty Barnes timeline and they have the Pascal Siakam OG Ananobi timeline where both of those guys are on expiring contracts entering this year yeah and it felt like they may have thought they were pretty well positioned to retain Fred Van Vliet. That ended up not happening and they lost Van Vliet for nothing. He won a title there. He was a great player. He was super valuable for them, but they didn't get anything in return for him upon losing him. Mm-hmm. And that really hinders them now because their point guard is Dennis Schroeder, who is a real downgrade from Fred Gary Trent is also an expiring deal. Really like the only guys they have under contract long-term right now are Scotty Barnes, mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder for two years, Jakob Pertl, Grady Dick, and then Jalen McDaniels for two years. Right. And then they have Precious's restricted free agency situation. He is extension eligible as is Malachi Flynn. And then obviously the big thing here is that both Siakam, Ananobi, and Gary Trent are extension eligible. So I'm just fascinated to see what they decide to do more than anything. I don't know. I don't I don't think they've picked a direction yet, I guess is my point. I mean, obviously not. They're trapped in the middle currently. And they've done kind of done that to themselves a little bit by making the Pirtle trade which is still just kind of, I don't, I mean, I still just don't quite get it. Cause I mean, that, that is kind of picking a direction when you trade a first rounder for him and then you resign him. But like, man, yeah. I, I am, I'm just, I just don't understand. Like if you're going to do the Pirtle thing, they're like, why are you straddling the fence on Pascal Siakam right now? Like, that's what I don't get because I think Siakam would like to be extended and would like to stay in Toronto but it's not happening. And so are they going to trade it? Like, where's the decision there? And it and it's just feels a lot like the beginning of last offseason or the, the end of last offseason for them again. Where it's like, hey, needs to be a decision made in Toronto. What are they going to do? And now they're just, they're just in a very similar situation to Fred Van Vliet with Siakam. It's like, what is he, what are we going to do here? Like, and 
I just might have a feeling that we'll go into next offseason thinking, well, maybe he'll re-sign in Toronto and he'll come back and then he'll go sign somewhere else. That's just kind of what it feels like. And the Schroeder reactionary signing was odd to me because it's just like a odd commitment to the middle for the Raptors. Um, I don't know. I mean, for for a front office that has been um, lauded for the swings that they've made, boy, did they just like bunt themselves into this team. You know, I just don't, I just don't understand where this is going and how this is going to net them a team that's really going to do much. And I don't know how they get out of it necessarily either. Uh, It's just, they've put themselves in just a strange situation in the Eastern conference where could they make the play in like, yeah, they can make the play in, but are they much better than that? No. So yes, I think they can make the play in. They didn't make the playoff last year, obviously shout out uh, DR DeRozan, but like to, to me, it's just, they're now, they need to decide over the course of the next six months. Realistically, they have six months now to decide. If this is Scotty Barnes's franchise, or if it's, we're going to continue down the road of building with like Siakam and Ananobi. And part of that is understanding what Siakam and Ananobi want. Mm-hmm. And they need to be very crystal clear and very transparent and understanding on what those guys want. Are they willing to sign extensions in Toronto? Ananobi, his number is close, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of what he will end up with. You add like 140% uh, to his like $18.6 million. 18.6 times 1.4. That's like 26 a year plus 8% raises. You're in the ballpark of like the deal that DeJounte Murray signed, but also another clutch client, by the way, as well. Although I think Ananobi actually just left clutch uh, is with CAA now. Mm-hmm. And th- this is where I think the complication of building around Scotty Barnes makes this a little bit harder. Uh, I think Scotty Barnes is a really good player and I don't want to get into the Scotty Warns wars by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Scotty right now though is a driving non-shooting like point guard creator type let's call him and you need to surround him basically only with shooters mm-hmm. and what you've done is signed Jakob Pertl to a four-year, $78 million deal. Mm-hmm. And Jakob is an awesome defensive player. He's an incredible screener. I think his mm-hmm. gravity is a little bit underrated offensively because of how good of a screener he is. But it's going to be a little bit tough. And it's now the way that that works best if you put the ball in Scotty's hands is if he develops that awesome mid-range game that people thought he was developing at summer league his first Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. and in the first like 15 games he played in Toronto. Unfortunately, that has not quite been the case over the course of the next year and a half. Yep. 
if he doesn't develop that, I think it's going to be a bit too easy for teams to guard them. If he does develop that game, and I think it's possible that he could, then it becomes a little bit easier. And oh, by the way, the other piece of this that is very confusing is that Pascal Siakam likes to operate in all of these areas. That's where he excels is in all of these areas. Yeah. So I think that you look to me, I think you just kind of have to move Pascal at the end of the day and rebuild. I don't think Mm -hmm. this team is good enough Mm -hmm. unless they're going to try and move for a star. Like Mm -hmm. if your goal here is to go, Hey, we have all these interesting players. We have Siakam, we have Ananobi, we have Pirtle. We think Scotty Barnes can be really good. We still have Gary Trent. We just drafted Grady Dick. You know, we have Schroeder, McDaniels, et cetera, right? All these guys are really solid NBA players at the very least, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we go out and get a star? Can we go out and get a star? It's going to be tough because, our, I mean, there are a lot of other teams that have way more assets and, and ways to make it happen than Toronto. And so... They're, they're going to be further down the line. Maybe they're and more. The, other, the but... other piece of that, though, is that other teams have more time to get yeah. the star. Yeah. It's Toronto true. now has like six months or so, maybe, maybe a year. Yeah, maybe. They're willing to really take a risk. It, it, mm-hmm. Really, it depends on how much fortitude they have in their gut. How much is Masai just going to be willing to say, fuck it? Word is going for it. And if we lose Ananobi and Siakam for nothing, we're just going to rebuild. Yeah. But man, <sighs> if they lost Fred OG and Pascal for nothing, it'd be tough. And I think that they're probably going to be somewhere in the middle in the East this year. Yeah. Yeah, they will. And it's really, really hard to start selling players and to convince your team that it's okay to sell players when you're competing for a playoff berth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, this happens in the NBA, either you pick a direction or the direction is going to be picked for you. And oftentimes when the direction is picked for you, you miss out on a lot of stuff that could be good for team building, (laughs) you know, and this, I mean, they, they could have clearly gotten something. It wouldn't have been a lot, but they could have gotten something for Fred Van Vliet at the trade deadline. And it's going to happen mm-hmm. again with Siakam if they don't give him an extension. It's like they could get something really nice for him to add to this rebuild, like some kind of guard that can shoot it. Um, instead, they're just kind of adding these pieces. Like, De- And Dennis has looked great in FIBA, but like you can't convince me that Dennis Schroeder is now like some like great starting point guard in the NBA. Like The guy has shot... 30 above 35% from three twice in his career. Once was like his second or third year. And once was with Oklahoma city, whenever he played with Chris Paul and Shea every other year, he's a below average three point shooter that doesn't space the floor. Teams will not care if he shoots the three. And that's a problem. That's a problem. If you're trying to compete this year, it's a problem. If you can't space the floor, because now it's OG. And then who I can count on Grady Dick to come in and space the floor immediately for you. Maybe that happens. It's possible, but boy, you're just making life so much harder on yourself than you need to by one, not picking a direction 
And then two, thinking that you can just put together this team on the fly. That's going to be good. It almost just, it almost never works, especially whenever you're picking up guys like Schroeder who credit to him. He's had a really long career, nice backup guard in the league, but there's a reason that he's been floating around since he left Oklahoma city. You know, there's a reason why he kind of, why basically the thunder got him in that Carmelo Anthony deal where the Atlanta Hawks were like, Hey, well, you just give us something that looks positive and we'll give you him <laughs> just in anything, please. Um, but there's a reason for those things. And so I, I don't quite, I don't quite get where they're headed, but I don't like it. I don't like it either. Uh, I think they're in a very difficult position to try and manage moving mm-hmm. forward. Uh Tom Duke says Pascal can shoot threes. I mean, that's just like not, it's kind of not reality at this point of where he's at over the last three years. He's taken 75 or he's taken 751 threes and made them at a 32% clip. Uh, And frankly, like it's just not where he likes to operate. Yeah. Like that's just not, not what he is. Yeah. Right. I I mean, every, the thing is like everybody shoots threes in the NBA. If you operate from the perimeter, but the thing is, how do you bend the defense? Like, does yeah. you do you bend the defense by just standing there? Because if you don't, then you're a liability. Yeah, yeah. Look, they're just in a strange position now, and they have a little bit of time to figure all of this out. But time is running out. I think is what I would say. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they, they could totally figure this out, and it will be fine. And Masai could look like a genius again. And like, I I am totally willing to acknowledge that. Like, I think that is a very real potential outcome for them, but time is running low and they have to work on some things here a little bit uh, to make that happen. Okay. Let's go now to the Utah jazz. The Utah jazz had a pretty quiet off season after they acquired John Collins from Atlanta for Rudy Gay in a second. They also traded Damian Damian Jones to Cleveland. Mm -hmm. The draft was the big night for them. They selected Taylor Hendricks, Keontae George, and Bryce Sensabaugh, three guys that, you know, uh, are definitely good shooters. And Hendricks is a really high-level defender as well. George and Sensabaugh, I have some worries on that end, but when you have the infrastructure of Hendricks and Walker Kessler and some of the other guys they have. I think they have a real shot to be good defensively again. Uh, also, Keontae George was like a summer league phenomenon for some people this year. <laughs> he was. He was great. Yeah. In terms of contracts, Jordan Clarkson opted into his $14 million player option and then signed an extension for two more years. Talon Horton Tucker exercised his $11 million uh, player option. They signed Omir Yurtsevin and then still extension eligible wise, they still have Lowry Markinen, who can't really sign a deal, even though he is extension eligible. If yeah. there's just no way that he can get to a number high enough at this point after the season he had last year, yeah. Taylor Horton Tucker and Kelly Olenek are also extension eligible. This was a quiet off season. I think it's probably worth focusing on two moves more than anything else. What do you think of how John Collins will look in Utah? Uh, I, I think he'll look pretty good. Honestly, I think that he is not really a great player to play next to Trey Young as just like a, hey, space the floor, don't do anything else because Trey's going to do everything for you. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think Utah is a share the ball. Um, everybody gets to share the sugar kind of situation. And I think that'll be good for John mm-hmm. Collins. Um, so I kind of like it for them. I, within that, I don't, I also have a hard time understanding, you know, where Utah is headed to because they need to acquire star players in order to become a great team. And they kind of find themselves in this kind of weird middle area too, where mm-hmm. to get a star player in Utah and needs to either be via the draft or via trade. Um, they have assets for trade and maybe that's the route that they're going to go. And if that's the way that they're going to do it, I don't blame them. I think there's a lot of moves that they've made that will serve them well. Uh, I think they're kind of moving in a direction where they can't really get a star unless they get lucky in the draft. Um, Cause I don't think they're going to be drafting in the top five. Um, throughout this entire rebuild, unless it's somebody else's pick. So I just, or, think or unless like Lowry was to miss a lot of time. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Market and miss a lot of time. I still think like they just, they play competently. Like they would have to be willing and they did it last year. Frankly, like they'd made some trades at the deadline and man, there were some rough jazz games <laughs> down the end of last season. And so maybe yeah. they'd be willing to do make a move like that again to get there. But like the John Collins move um, kind of flies in the face of trying to do that. So I'm just curious, like how does Utah acquire like a couple stars in order to get there? I mean, they, they kind of fell into two stars last time around with Gobert and Mitchell. Both That's were, right. you know, in the middle of the draft and one was at the end of the draft, both acquired via trade. So yeah. I, um, maybe they're just like, Hey, we we tend to believe that this stuff is all random. And so we're going to acquire a bunch of picks. We're going to try it out and we'll see who's good and who's not. But um, I don't know. Well, the, the other the other piece of this for Utah, as you know better than most, is that the Thunder own their top 10 protected first round yep. pick yep. this year. So if you're Utah, this is a pretty weak draft at the top. Yeah. I think this is probably the one where you want to try and get that pick to extend or ex- like transfer over to yeah. the Thunder. Yeah. Right. And the Thunder are like, yeah, please not now. Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> any, any time, but now. Yeah. Uh, that'd be great. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. I, do you think it conveys? Do you, do you think that pick will convey? Look, if if Lowry is as good as he was last year, and if Kessler takes another leap defensively in the way that he was phenomenal this past season, mm-hmm. and John Collins is what John Collins has been, I think there's a chance. Yeah, like they, they'd have to make the play-in tournament for that to happen. Right. Currently, I would have all of like the Timberwolves, Thunder, Nuggets, that's three, the Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, Suns, Kings, that's eight, mm-hmm. uh, Grizzlies, Pelicans ahead of them, that's 10, Dallas yeah. is 11. So I would have Utah like 12th right now in the West. Yeah. So it's possible. Yeah. It's possible. They've also got to kind of want to be there too, because I do think that they can maneuver this in in a way that they want you know i also just wonder what i think the way i would put it is like they have less margin for error than those teams right 
Um, sure. Yeah, I think that's true. And also, they're developing guys. Like how like how important is it to them? And I and I would say it should be very important to de- to develop a guy like Keontae George, because the mm-hmm. truth about Keontae George this next year is Keontae George is going to make you a worse basketball team. Um, because he's a rookie, and rookies rarely help you win, especially rookie scoring guards that don't play a lot of defense. Those guys typically do not help you win basketball games in the first few years of their career. So like it, it will depend on that too. Like, do they lean into Colin Sexton and THT and guys like that? If they do, I don't know, like maybe they could do something, but if they lean into Keontae George and given possessions to Bryce Sensabaugh, best believe this is going to be the seventh pick in the draft. Yeah. I think that's dead on. Uh, Jordan, look, Jordan Clarkson resigned there. Like Clarkson was awesome last year. Uh, <laughs> sneaky, great yeah. season. Yeah, I didn't mention him. Uh, yeah, he's hard position for them. So like sneaky, great season, and you know you play him, you play Colin Sexton, and you get enough offense that way, and you kind of get you know uh, the defense from and with John Collins as well, and you get the defense from Kessler and from. Uh, Taylor Hendricks maybe being able to come in earlier than how people think is, on defense. How much does Hendricks play this year? They just have a lot of forwards that kind of play his position. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, it depends on how much do you buy Lowry playing the three? Because that's what he did yeah. a lot of last year and was pretty successful with it. Um, yeah, with Olen- like Ol- Olenek was like a sneaky part of their success, too. Like he's And he kind yeah. of makes it possible to play that kind of lineup with his shooting and passing and all that kind of stuff. And that's they not kind of exactly, need yeah. to make one move. It feels like to like declutter the front court a little bit yeah. and they can take that into the season. Like there's no sure. rush on that, but at sure. some point I think they're going to have to make a move to kind of just declutter a little bit more than yeah. anything. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think the jazz will be a competent, fun team. Will Hardy, I think is a really good coach. They mm-hmm. ran awesome stuff last year. They were very strong in terms of continuity, it felt like. Yeah, I, I, they have Lowry. They have like a borderline all-NBA player. They have yep. all these interesting front court pieces and Collins and Kessler and Hendricks and Olenek. And then they have guards who can really score. I think they're probably going to be like a 35-win team Yeah, this year. Just yeah. based on having like competence at the end of the day last year they won 37 like this year as long as as long as Lowry is healthy like they can win games yeah and they and they will I just this is like another like pick a direction kind of thing for me is I I just wonder because it's all I mean the NBA the game is how do you get stars and how do you get more than one of them on your team so that you can compete and I just I'm having trouble seeing the vision of how they do it. And maybe it is via trade. And if it is, if they're just like, Hey, we're just hanging out until, you know, a certain star says he wants to go. And then we're going to just throw everything we got at him. Yep. And if that's the case. We're like, we're going to pair him with marketing. We're going to pair them with like Keontae George or Sensabaugh or Kessler, whoever they feel like is a part of that core of the young guys. And they still are trying to figure that out. Um, yeah, like that's probably a fine plan for Utah. But if if I were them, like I'd still would rather rebuild through the draft and figure it out that way. But 
you know, I'm I'm intrigued to see because they have more runway than a team like Toronto does. Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay, last team here, the Washington Wizards. The Wizards had probably the most active offseason uh, on the trade market of any team in the league. They traded Bradley Beal, Jordan Goodwin, and Isaiah Todd to Phoenix for Chris Paul, Andrew Shamit, four first-round pick swaps in six seconds. They acquired Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., a top 20 protected 2031st, and a 2027 second for Chris Paul. They traded Kristaps Porzingis to Boston in a three-team deal. Involving Memphis, they got Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and number 35 in that deal. They traded that number 35 pick for two future seconds. They traded Monte Morris to Detroit for a second. They acquired the number seven overall pick from Indiana for the number eight pick in two seconds in order to select Bilal Kulabali, a six foot eight wing from Metropolitan's 92, Victor Wembanyama's team. They traded number 57 to Golden State for cash. That was the Trace Jackson Davis pick. And finally, they took Tristan Vuksevitz, a seven-foot center from Partizan, who I'm not an enormous fan of. But nonetheless, in terms of contracts, the only thing they really did was sign Kyle Kuzma to a four-year, $90 million deal, $12 million in incentives, 15% trade bonus, according to Spotrack. Uh, great work over there at Spotrack. Uh Gone, Taj Gibson, Kendrick Nunn, along with all of the names that I mentioned previously. And then they still have the Denny of Dia extension to deal with if they want to go down that road. This is like pure rebuilding team, trying to clear the deck chairs a little bit, take on a distressed asset. And Jordan Poole is probably the most notable thing they did here. Um, Essentially in the Bradley Beal deal, you can say that they got Jordan Poole, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., a top 20 protected first, four first-round pick swaps, six seconds, uh, or no, seven seconds, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. That is, that's a haul, I think, for Bradley Beal. Like, that, to get Jordan Poole, who is overpaid but interesting, mm-hmm. all of these pick swaps, a potential first, and Pat Baldwin, who is at least like a first round pick. It is it is an intriguing pathway for them to take. Yeah, to me, this is like step one of the teardown. Because they still have some kind of like interesting guys on their team that I just wonder if other teams would be like, hey, I, I think the Kyle Kuzma deal is like, hey, let's get him under contract. And then Kyle, listen, you play well, we'll get you somewhere else. You know, I think yep. that could be the case with a lot of these guys. Tyus Jones. Hey, Tyus Jones, come on in. Play some good minutes for us. We'll find you a yep. place that you like. You know, I think that this is likely the direction they're picking. Um, this is this is like Oklahoma City part two, I think, with as far as rebuilding and trying to get assets. I mean, you look at what they valued. It was like, what kind of picks can we get? What's the most amount that we can get? And I think that you know, Gafford, Corey Kispert could be out there for them. I think Jordan Poole, if he rebuilds his you know, trade value, could be somebody that could help them. Uh, Denny Avdia. Like th- I think these guys, were start, they'll probably start looking at these guys as like, what is, the, is there anybody that can get us a first-round pick? Because if they could, great. Highest bidder. Like, let's go. I think this could be an active team um, moving forward in the trade market as well. And if I'm them, like I'm just giving Kula Bali like all the developmental minutes. 
I am like devoting like multiple uh, assistant coaches to his development because he's got yeah. like crazy high ceiling and he's going to need the infrastructure to get there. He's going to need the support to get there. And so I'd love that for them. I think having guys like Mike Muscala and DeLon Wright and Tyus Jones on a team with him will help for as long as they're on the team. Um, but this is going to be a rough year for the Wizards, very intentionally a rough year. So humor me a minute. Oh, boy. Uh, oh boy. Let's say Jordan Poole averages something like 25 points a game. Seems plausible, right? Totally. Totally possible. Kyle Kuzma averages 20 points a game. Totally like, possible. Kyle Kuzma averaged 21 points per game. I thought it was really good. I thought it was arguably the best asset, uh, one of the best assets on the trade market last year, and they decided to keep him and re-sign him, right? Tyus Jones is a good point guard. DeLon Wright is a good backup point guard. Corey Kispert is like a starting caliber floor spacer. Yeah, he's great. Denny is something like he's a good versatile defender who just needs to learn to shoot, but like can mm-hmm. handle the ball a little bit, can do some things. Mm-hmm. Daniel Gafford is like probably around the 30th best center in the league, something like that. I say all of this to say as currently constructed, mm-hmm. are we certain this team is that bad? There is like they, they have some like actual vets that are like kind of in their prime that are yeah. pretty good. Yeah, this is this is where um it is possible that all these pieces kind of come together and form like some weird you know middle of the road team. Like it's not yeah. it's not impossible that that happens. Um and if and if you remember this is like the thunder the thunder traded Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And then they had this hodgepodge roster that actually included Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala, which is kind of funny um, that are on this roster. And they were the fifth seed. <laughs> like they were a fine team. Right. Now I don't think this wizards team has that capability, but could they scare some teams and get to the play in? Um, it's not impossible, but I do believe that even if that happened, I would still expect Will Dawkins to go like full scorched earth and trade these guys. Because I think coming from the school of Presti, I think that he probably knows like the best way to get a star in in Washington is by getting a top five pick. And the best way to get a top five pick is controlling your own destiny and getting there on your own. And so that might, even if they do surprise people, I would guess that after the surprise year that things um, just continue, they just absolutely trade everybody and try to get as many picks as possible. A couple other quick notes. Uh, Kyle Kuzma's deal is a declining deal as mm-hmm. well. Uh, he's only going to make $19 million in 2026, 27. That contract is going to be over those last two years. As long as he stays at this level, which I think, Kyle Kuzma can play. Yeah. 
Corey Kispert is also quite good. I think that's gone under the radar. Like he averaged 11 points last season, but shot 42% from three on five, three point attempts per game. He is not going to like drive constantly toward the rim, but he shot 64% at the rim and really knows how to pick his spots. Yeah. I, I don't think this team is in like Tyus is good. Tyus is a top 30 point guard in the league. Yeah. This is not going to be like an abject disaster. I don't think like that. I think there is a chance this team, like if Cade Cunningham gets hurt or something, there is a chance this team finishes ahead of the Pistons. Yeah. Even if he doesn't, there's not a zero chance that they do. Yeah. Um, I would bet on them being bad. I just think there's a lot of good teams like the teams that I think that they will, that that could be worse than them. I think it's possible. Charlotte is worse than them. I think it's possible. Um, Detroit is again, but like you look at everybody else, you know, Boston, Brooklyn, Philly, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Cavs, Pacers, Bucks, Hawks, Magic, Heat. That's just a lot of teams. It's just going to be tough. There's just too much. There's too many competent teams in the league right now. The Wizards are currently slated for an over-under of 24 and a half wins this season. I will be talking about this next week on the show. (laughs) That is one of my favorite numbers. I think that is like a very clear over. Uh, I'm not with you, but I could see how you get there. (laughs) 24 is very low, man. It's, it's It's, low. It's, it's low. Put it this way. They they have the worst win total over under in the league right now by four wins. Yeah. There is, they, they could be the worst team in the league. Like that's totally plausible that that ends up happening. But they have a lot of veteran, like solid players that for them to be four wins worse than anybody else in terms of projection feels aggressive to me. Yeah. What do you think of Wes Unseld Jr.? I don't have a great feel yet. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Which is not I don't good. have a great feel for it yet. It's funny, like he came in and was thought of as like this great defensive coach, and mm-hmm. their defense has not been very good so far, and then they haven't they haven't finished top 20 in offense or in defense in either of his first two years, yeah. despite the fact that they've had like Bradley Beal, Chris Stops, Kyle Kuzma. Porzingis like awesome last year too. <laughs> he was so yeah. good last year and they had, I mean, they had some guys. So that's another like little bit of worry. And they had like Monte Morris is also a good player. You know, Monte Morris yeah. is a really nice player. And they still couldn't figure it out. And now, like, you just become a tinge more un. You're a little unhinged now. Whenever you bring in Jordan Poole, it's like, hey, Jordan Poole, want to be the dude? I just wonder what that looks like. And I don't quite trust it. I don't know that I quite trust it either. Uh, Andrew, we're done. That's our 10 teams. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people... Uh, all about the great shows over at The Athletic, where you are the lead producer of the NBA side. What a uh, lovely place to be. That's a great place to be. Yeah, go check out The Athletic NBA show. We're still producing content. 
uh, every week. So go check that out. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That would be that'd be my number one thing I'd like you to do. Just go subscribe to the <laughs> NBA show on YouTube. Uh, and then if you like the Thunder at all, listen to my show Down to Dunk. I'd appreciate that. Andrew's the best. So tomorrow or the next day, I don't know which day it will be. I will be recording with Adam Spinella a breakdown of the G League Ignite versus Perth Wildcats. Um, that is the big showcase Ignite series internationally that they're doing this year. Perth does not have Victor Wembanyama, but they do have Alex R, who I think is a potential top 10 pick. Really, mm. really exciting stuff. Uh, at some point, Alec, or, uh, Adam and I will break that down. Next week, I'm on vacation, but I think we're doing win total over-unders next week. I have not recorded them yet. I will hopefully be recording them tomorrow. We will figure it out. We will make it work, guys. We will make sure that win total over-unders get recorded. That's Andrew Schlecht over there. I'm Sam Vecini. Again, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast over on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Do everything you can to support the show. It's a great way that is so low maintenance for you to help out. For Andrew over there, I'm Sam Vecini. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.